0: Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 13. And again, these chapters are kind of long, so we're not going to get through 13 today. But we're going to try. And pardon me, I still have leftover cough from when I was sick. So hopefully I'll get through this. Verse 24. Another parable he puts forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. While men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares, or boys and girls, weeds. Awesome place. Okay. Oh, there. Okay. But what? Tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the good grain sprouted and produced a crop, then the the weeds also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How is it that we have tares or weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? And he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. Then gather the wheat into my barn. Another parable he put forth, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal. That's about 50 pounds, by the way, until it was all leaven. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables, I will other things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and the disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares. He answered them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into a furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear let him hear. I like when Jesus says that. Why did Jesus speak in parables? Darren told us last week why. In verses 13, 11 to 17, he says he speaks in parables because the people will not see and they will not hear, even though they claim to see and claim to hear. But the disciples' ears and eyes, these things are being revealed. Even they're receiving the special benefit. Because even the prophets, he says, wanted to know what you know and what you see. And they never actually, all the Old Testament prophets, never actually put the whole thing together until Christ came. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, well, stop for a minute. What is the kingdom of heaven? A misunderstanding really creates problems about this with Christians who have a thirst for prophecy and think that the kingdom of heaven is coming. Jesus refers to the kingdom of heaven, however, where he is and where the Holy Spirit is. It also refers to the spirit of Christ as well. In Colossians, I mean, 2 Corinthians three fifteen through 18, listen to what he says. To this day, Moses is read, and a veil lies over the Jew's heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord, or Jesus, is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, he says the Lord himself, Jesus, is the Spirit. That's referring to him. The context of these verses, where the Spirit of the Lord is, is where the kingdom is. So Jesus refers to the sower, and he later tells us the field is actually the world. We'll get into that nomenclature later on. And you know that's not the millennial kingdom he's talking about. Why? Because the enemy is there you see that? He's talking about tares and weeds that come up, planted by the enemy inside of God's kingdom. The Greek word for enemy here is ektros. It means an adversary, referring to the devil. Now, the servants think that they should go and uproot the weeds right now. I'm sure the angels in heaven wonder why God allows such ungodliness in this world. But the wisdom of God is much wiser than angels, even. He doesn't want the servants to uproot the tares and then actually uproot the wheat with it. You got to take great, uh, great comfort in that, because if there's any possibility of the wheat being damaged, God isn't going to allow that. He's not going to allow it at all. So He tells them, to let them both grow together at the harvest. They gather the tares out of the kingdom, bind them, burn them, and put his wheat in his barn. This is an important parable to understand, but instead of explaining this right now, because he does explain it, let's step aside to the two other parables for a second: The mustard seed. Jesus compares the kingdom to a mustard seed. He says, "A man sows it in the field, and even though it's the smallest of seeds that are sown, it becomes a big tree or a bush. So big that even birds can come and make a nest in it. And it's important that Jesus didn't say the mustard seed is the smallest seed. It's the smallest seed sown. There are some flowers that have seeds that are even smaller than a mustard seed. But we don't go throwing them out in the ground and sow them. So this is about being sown. He referred to seeds sown by a farmer. Now, this parable is a picture of how small, at first, the kingdom of Christ would appear. Israel expected the Messiah to come in with a lot of fanfare, political, visible sight, but his kingdom came in, in a very obscure manger, in Bethlehem, by a virgin, a poor virgin. Later, at the descent of the Holy Spirit, his kingdom grew quickly. But just like the mustard seed today, we have a gigantic universal church, don't we? Gigantic. Anyone who wants to come and seek refuge in Jesus in that church can build their home in him. Have you done that? Are you building your home in Jesus? Because this isn't our home. This is not our home right here. This is only a temporary place. Now the next parable is about leaven. He says, Sometimes leaven, by the way, when you look at the scripture, it's it's something that's bad. They wouldn't allow a leaven while they were eating the Passover. But in 1 Corinthians 5 6, 5, 6, and seven he says, This is an example of bad leaven. He says, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole plot? So this is a principle here that we're dealing with. Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So he's tying leaven in with the Passover. But in this case, this is referring to something else. It's referring to the hidden, remember she hid it, in a lump of dough. This is referring to the hidden kingdom as it spreads throughout the world. The world does not understand, the world does not comprehend the gospel. Or the power of it. But it spreads all over the place. When Christians do what they're supposed to do. The woman hid the leaven in about 50 pounds of dough. By the time it rose and was ready to bake, it'd be enough to feed hundreds of people. And so it is in the preaching of the kingdom. It may seem hidden to the world. In fact, it is blinded to the world. But we see the amazing growth of the kingdom when we are faithful. One, in spreading the gospel to the lost. And two, after they're saved, discipling the lost. Discipling. So, Colossians 3, no, yeah, Colossians 3, 3 and 4, he says this about our hidden lives in Christ. You have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. So that when Christ our life appears, this is at the harvest, you will appear with Him in glory. That's exciting. We're hidden in Christ with God, by God. And maybe people, I mean, honestly, I don't think people see Christ in me a lot. I don't know that one way or the other, but I know this. He's there. And sometimes... I hide him. And I don't want to. I do stupid stuff. Hurtful stuff. That's why God causes me to go and ask forgiveness of people that I've hurt. Because he didn't deserve it. and God didn't like it. That doesn't change me from being a true child of God. Now, you can rejoice that you are a part, you're, that you are become a part of this wonderful kingdom. And my friends, you're in it now. You don't have to wait for it. You can willingly become an instrument to spread his gospel. Don't hide your life. Don't hide Christ. So then he gives an explanation of the weak and tears. And when the disciples got him along, they asked him about the tares, and he becomes very, very specific about this parable to these guys. And first, he gives them a bunch of nomenclature. You know what nomenclature is, okay? He gives them this. First, the sower of the good seed is the son of man. Secondly, the field is the world. Thirdly, the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. Fourthly, the tares are sons of the wicked one, Satan. Next, the enemy is the devil, or Satan himself. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. You get that? That's what he was really talking about now. He says the Son of God, through his servant, sows good seed in the world, the field. But at the end of the age, he will send his angels to gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. And stop for a minute. Does this explanation assume that our current existence here in this world is, in fact, the kingdom of God? Yes. It does. Because remember, the kingdom is where the king is. So instead of snatching us out, what's he going to snatch out? Everything that offends him. Wow. Think about, if you're not a Christian... You're going to get a reverse rapture. That's terrible to think about. <laughs> because in Colossians 1, 12, 13, 14, listen, how do we know we're in this kingdom now? Because he tells us so. Listen to Colossians 1, 12 through 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his Son. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Notice that verse thirteen says, "In delivering us from the kingdom of darkness, He conveys us or transferred us." That minute, the minute you were saved, you're transferred into the kingdom of the Son. Hallelujah! If you're not already, though, I want to warn you about something. If you're not already in His kingdom before Christ comes, you won't be. After he comes. There's no second chance. After, after the second coming. There's no second chance after death. If you're not already in his kingdom. Now you won't be when he comes. And you will be part of those tears. That he gathers out. If you're not already there. He won't be. But when he returns. He will simply. It, the return of Christ. Is a, simply a consummation. Of something. That already exists. His kingdom. Think about that. Are you in the kingdom? Are you making your your rest in the big tree of the church where Christ is Lord? Are you? Revelation 12 speaks of this present kingdom. And he says, I heard a, a loud voice in heaven. This is verses 10 and 11. And this is Pre, listen to this, whenever Satan is talked about, it is not a millennial kingdom. He says this, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now, salvation, strength, and kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. Oh, good. But the accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down, and they overcame him. Are you overcoming? In the first... Seven churches, Jesus says every time, he over, he who overcomes, I will give him whatever. (laughs) They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. They overcame him by the word of their testimony. I had working with a couple and I told them to go write their own testimony. I'm trying to teach them how to share their faith with others. So I made them write out their own testimony. And then I told him to memorize it. So, memorize your own testimony so you can share how Christ changed you. That's your testimony. And it also just makes the devil really, really angry when you tell people about Jesus. And finally, he says, and they did not love their lives unto death. I'm going to read something from Spurgeon about that here in a minute. But, so, he says, the kingdom is this world. He has become the kingdom of God and our Christ. Satan is cast down to the earth. And brethren, day and night, he accuses them, but they overcame. If this were referring here to his future millennium, Satan wouldn't be there. But back to Matthew 13 for a minute. The angels come and they do something first. First, before gathering the saints to Christ, they gather the tares and the sons of wickedness out of the world, out of the kingdom, and put them in the fire of hell. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does that mean? Weeping because they're there. But if you offered those people in hell an opportunity to accept Christ, they would gnash their teeth at you. Remember the guy that went to hell and he asked that Lazarus touch his tongue with water? He didn't ask to get out of hell. He just wanted that temporary relief that all unbelievers seek. That's all he wanted. The end of the age according to Jesus rather than man <laughs> we take the opportunity to tell you this is actually going to happen this end of the age event is coming you say, when? how would I know God didn't tell me he doesn't tell us probably so suddenly that you will not believe that it happened so suddenly in the twinkling of an eye but it's happening it's coming Christ is coming for his own And you'll be gathered out of this world. But the tares, the weeds, are also going to be gathered out of the kingdom. Because that kingdom is a mess while they're there. And there will not be any more sin. Hallelujah. Jesus doesn't want you to go there. He prepared that place for the devil and his followers. His first followers were other angels, but a lot of people follow him today. According to Ephesians two, all of us were following the prince of the power of the air. All of us, until so God raised us up in Christ. If you refuse Christ as your redeemer and savior, the lake of fire is definitely your destiny. You know, when I preach, how good it is to be a Christian. Sometimes I have to preach how bad it is. To reject Christ. What about the righteous? Oh, this is going to be good. They will shine as the sun, meaning to be a perfect reflection of Christ in his glory. And even though it will be lesser light, it's God's intention that we shine forever. Woo! That's going to be great, isn't it? Listen to a description of this in Daniel. Daniel 12, 1 through 3. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was, and before there was ever a nation, into that time, and at that time your people will be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Boy, that's an important thing to know. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting shame and contempt, and those who are wise. Now I want you to get this. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament, like the sun in the stars. And those who turn many others to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. So there's a kind of a qualification here, isn't there? Oh, I'm saved, hallelujah, I'm going to go do what I want. He describes the wise as those who have understood and believed the gospel and then out there getting others to come to that righteousness of Christ. Listen, this is our job. This is the work of the church. This is our business. I'm looking forward to that day. I know my righteousness is only God's righteousness. I have none of my own. I know that that when I preach the gospel, I'm just a bag of grain. (laughs) That's all you got to be, just fill yourself up with the seed. Just be a bag of grain and let the the sun sow it. Amen? It's just easy. You say, oh, you know, I'm so afraid to witness that. Just be a bag of grain. And a pile of dust, Rusty. Amen? Every day that we got together, we started out greeting each other with, Hi, pile of dust, how are you? I'm fine, pile of dust, how are you? we did that to stay humble before the Lord so we'd realize that anything we got out of the Word was coming from Him and not us. Do you have a real relationship with Jesus that was originated by the Holy Spirit? Well, your future is bright. How bright? As bright as the sun. And you have the privilege of leading others to the same righteousness that Christ imparted to you. Are you doing your job? <laughs> Am I doing my job? Just because I get up here and preach doesn't mean I'm doing my job. I've got to, um, at least for right now, I've got a, a stuck audience. You can't go anywhere for a while. But I've had opportunities to share the gospel. I've got my truck repaired the other day and shared the gospel with a person there um, it just happens if you know who you are in Christ when you step into any situation. He can take over and start bringing people to him. All you've got to do is yield. That's all. Just yield to his spirit. I pray that I and all of us here are reflecting Christ around us and leading many to his kingdom. I want to read something to you from Charles Spurgeon, uh, my favorite mentor. Well, one of my favorites. Actually, when I go to T4G, I end up with hundreds of them. Paul said this. I mean, uh, Charles said this. We die daily, said the Apostle. This was the very life of the early Christians. They went everywhere with their lives in their hands. But we're not in a day called to pass through some fearful persecutions. If we were, the Lord would give us the grace to bear the test. But the test of the Christian life at the present time Though outwardly not so terrible, are yet more likely to overcome us than those in the fiery age. We have to bear the sneer of the world. That's just a little thing. It's blandishments, it's soft words, it's oily speeches, it's fawning, it's hypocrisy. That's far worse. Our danger is lest we grow rich and become proud, lest we give ourselves up to the fashions of the present evil world and lose our faith. Or if the wealth be not the trial, but the worldly care is quite as mischievous. If we cannot be torn in pieces by a roaring lion or hugged to death by a bear, the devil little cares, which it is, so long as he destroys our love for Christ and our confidence in him. I fear that the Christian church is far more likely to lose her integrity in these soft and silky days than in those rougher times. We must be awake now for we traverse the enchanted ground, and we're most likely to fall asleep on our own unto our own undoing, unless our faith in Christ may be a reality and our love to Jesus, a fiery flame. Many in these days of easy profession are likely to prove terror someday, and not wheat. Hypocrites with fair masks on their faces, but not the true-born children of the living God. Christian, do not think that these times in which you are in You can dispense with watchfulness or with holy ardor. You need these things more than ever. And may God, the eternal spirit, display his omnipotence in you, that you may be able to say, in all these things, softer things as well as rougher, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us.